Sports Minutes with Elia Danker and Ziaul Roshan. Money FM 89.3. It is now time for Sports Minutes. I'm Elliot Danker together with Ziaul Roshan. Good to be here. And it's a Friday episode and that means we're going to try and give the people something to think about over the weekend. And this is something quite important because injuries are a big part of recreational athletes like you and me. I know. Uh, and, you know, it's the injuries. And you know what else is a big part of, uh, of that entire process? It's like when you are slightly injured and it's nothing compared with the professionals. <laughs> but you start to act like you have this great injury or the team is going to miss out on me because you know, my hamstring exactly. is just a bit tight. <laughs> and, and, and the injuries I'm talking about is not about the heartbreak that I didn't make it as a professional <laughs> athlete as well, yeah. Yeah. That's another side to think. So we, we are going to talk about dealing with uh, sports injuries or preventing sports injuries for that matter. And on the line with us is Dr. Cormac Omahatik, who is Medical Director of the Sports Medicine Lab. Dr. Cormac, how are you? Uh, I'm very good. Thanks for inviting me out. Great to have you with us, Doc. We're talking all things about injury prevention. So perhaps you could start by telling us your expertise and your experience in dealing with injury prevention. Um, it's, I've been around Singapore a long time and involved in sports for over 30 years at this stage. And there's common themes that you see year in, year out about injuries that people sustain at sports. And I suppose the research over the last 30 years has developed year on year on how to prevent injuries. So thankfully, with the resource that we have online, most people are starting to be aware of simple things they can do to prevent injuries. Mm. One of the things that bothers me is this whole new year, new me, and everyone goes to the gym in the month of January, and then you'll start to see an uptick in injuries because, well, they were not conditioned to it. Uh, talk us through some of the most common injuries you often see. Uh, most common across any sport that I would see, and most even I suppose, physios would see as well, would be ankle sprains. Mm. Um, it's by far the most common. And as someone mentioned earlier, uh, if you're involved in a social football team, guaranteed every weekend somebody's out because they sprained their ankle during the week. Um, it's very common. Um, if it's managed well, you make a full recovery. And most of the time, a good rehabilitation program is all that's needed. But the biggest risk with an ankle injury is not rehabbing it properly. And then you have a massive increase of sustaining the next ankle injury. Mm. So, doctor, when you talk about rehabilitating from an ankle injury, do you tell your clients to take it easy slightly, but they're just too impatient to get going again and therefore they risk making it worse almost? Yeah, well, I suppose it's very obvious when someone's in pain that they don't want to put pressure, they want, don't want to sustain any more pain. Mm. So there's an initial protective period. And for, well, again, if we're talking about an ankle sprain, that could be as short as five days. For a bad ankle sprain, it could be a few weeks. The issue with most people is once that painful period goes, they feel like, okay, I'm ready to go. Mm. Whereas in reality, if they haven't regained the proper range, if they haven't pre- regained the proper strength and control or stability over the ankle, the next time they get into a slightly vulnerable position, the ankle may not be able to protect itself. So that's the hardest part because you feel okay, but you're still not 100% ready mm. and you're at increased risk. So, so it's listening to advice from your physio, from your kind of teammates on when you really should get back is the hard part. Yeah, that is, uh, and that's where the idea of a good warm up or cool down comes in, uh, Doctor. I, I received a bit of a shock when I was in Taiwan in December because I was training with the national boxing team or some members of them. Uh, warm up and cool down was twenty minutes. <laughs> wow, it's that important, Doctor. Yeah, did you survive the warm up at twenty one? I was sweating warm-up. after yeah. the warm up. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah, again, a proper warm-up is preparing you for the exercise and the sport you're about to do it. And for most of us, we're coming from a very sedentary background. If we're sitting for eight hours, we mm. need to prepare physically and mentally for that. And that's what your warm-up period is. A good warm-up physically gets your muscles 
um, to increase their blood supply, gets your heart rate up and gets you prepared for that exercise session or that sports session. If you're not doing that, then the chances are you're going to be seeing someone like myself far more frequently than you should be. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor, you mentioned warm-up. Okay, next time I go for social football, I'll go 30 minutes earlier to do a warm-up. But what about cool-down? Because more often than not, after football is done, (laughs) I'm jumping in my car and I'm driving home already. There's no cool-down unless a cold shower counts. No, but that's social football. In that 10, 15 minutes when everybody's sitting around talking about the goal that they scored or they... <laughs> or didn't. Or didn't most of the time, yes. Um, that's a perfect opportunity to do a little bit of uh, mobility work or static stretching to prepare you for the next session. Um, again, most people don't jump straight away into the car. There's a few minutes where you are cooling down and you might be standing, you might just statically stretch your hip or stretch your quads or do a little bit of a jog to retrieve the ball that you put 50 metres behind the goal. Yeah. That little cool-down jog and a little bit of static stretching at that stage it's just preparing the soft tissues for your next exercise session, be it the next day or in a week's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know some people in another generation who used to play football at Farrah Park. And after those games, what they do is they go to the coffee, sh- the coffee shop and they're having Guinness or they're smoking. And this is, of course, in the 90s, Doctor. A, yeah. a fitness and diet, this is something that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Uh, I think more and more people are becoming aware of the association with diet and general health, and especially diet, it's a fuel for your exercise. Does diet help prevent injury? I think an unhealthy diet and the lifestyle that goes with it puts you at increased risk of injury. And that goes with not just diet, it's a sleep and everything else that goes Mm. with it. But to me, you can't get away from a bad diet. No matter if you could, you could buy the most expensive supplement in the world, but you're still not going to get away from your, your, a bad intake of food mm. and your diet is food. So um, any adults or any kind of growing child needs certain building blocks and certain fuel for their daily life. And t- throw on top of that the exercise requirements. You need adequate carbohydrates for the exercise itself. You need adequate fat and protein for muscle recovery, for general health. Um, and unless you're getting adequate proportion of that through healthy food, you can't replace that with whatever supplements you want to buy. So your food and your hydration is your fuel for exercise and recovery after that exercise. And again, I keep saying you cannot get away from a bad diet. Absolutely. That's enlightening, Doctor. Thank you for sharing that. I'm keen to find out. We talk about people, new year, new me, jumping into a new training regime. (laughs) How important is it that they don't go in cold? They need it to be progressive to get better so they work their way up. Yeah, again, it's, you have to respect their body's ability to change, to adapt, and I suppose to heal. Every time we exercise, there might be a little bit of micro trauma to a muscle, yeah. to a tendon, to a ligament. Mm. And then some of them take 24 hours to recover, some of them take a little bit longer. So a proper management of load, a proper exercise program means you respect all your tissues and ace healing ability. Mm. So a lot of people that start on the 1st of January with the best intentions. By middle of January, if they've overdone it and they're in pain because the body's telling them to slow down a little bit, they're in, so their focus and their that, uh, drive to keep exercising gets dropped off pretty quickly. Okay. If they sustain an injury, obviously they have a period that they have to take time out. So to me, setting realistic goals over time and seeing it as a long-term investment in your health and not a short-term burst of exercise to mm. lose a bit of weight to look a bit better, it's the long-term goal you need to look at and it's a long-term investment as opposed to you know, high-intensity exercise just in January. 
Doctor, any thoughts on the mind and body being in harmony here? And what I mean is, okay, you 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 prep your body to take on those shocks, as you've just talked about. Is enough attention being paid to preparing your mind to take those on, preparing your mind to be in sync with how much your body can take, and and having patience for that matter? Yeah, I suppose there's, there's more and more awareness of it in the last few years, but physical health and mental health and mental health go hand in hand. Yeah. And it's so much so that the amount of research showing that exercise or movement as a form of therapy for people with diagnosed mental health disorders mm. is huge. Uh, and it can be as strong as medication for some people. But the mental preparation for sports, going back with a warm-up, a, a, a mental preparation for sports means your accuracy on that kick, your um, decision-making on the field is much better. Um, the physical balance and the mental health. I look at students all the time, and especially pre-things like A-levels, a lot of them drop exercise. Mm. And what's been consistently shown is if they maintain some form of exercise twice a week, their ability to retain knowledge is significantly better. So it's not talked about enough, but that's go with the mental and and physical health as well. Now, Doctor, let's move away slightly from the workout-related injuries. And it's something you touched on earlier, spending most part of our days sitting down, right? Because that's what the job, most of our jobs entail, possibly. And I understand neck pain, back pains are a bit of an issue as well. I always put it down to age. But is there something we can do to prevent these occurrences? Yeah, we're not designed to sit for six to eight hours in a classroom, in a lecture hall, or or three-hour meetings at work. Um we are designed to move. So to me, if you're in a class and I've had 45 minutes, there's not a break that you can get up and physically move in whatever way you can, be it stretch your hips, stretch your quads, lower, stretch your lower back or move your neck. We need to be insisting that we have time to get up during a class or a meeting. Um, the longer time you spend sitting, the central kind of core muscles tend to switch off. Mm. Your soft tissues that control a lot of your joint stability tend to stiffen up. Yeah. And we're not designed to sit for more than 45 minutes, if at all. Mm. So by getting up and moving, by simply stretching your neck between sending off an email, getting up and literally stretching out your hip for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, physically helps you, also helps you for your warm-up later on that evening. But mentally, it actually has been shown to raise your awareness level mm. so you're, you're, you're more productive. Shout out to my English teacher, Mrs. Nancy Ong, who always said, Elliot, stand up! <laughs> and, and shout out to my smartwatch, which often reminds me every 45 minutes that it's time to move. No, that, that, yeah. that goes a long way. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the theory behind it. Um, it raises your mental awareness. You can concentrate more. If your teacher was throwing things at you to get attention, that's yes. another thing. <laughs> okay, I tried to spin it positive. Uh, doctor, just, just some final thoughts. I mean... In spite of the fact that we've had this conversation, you're going to get a group of people who go, ah, you know what, I know my body and I'm going to go out on my fitness goals. What do you say? What, what advice do you have for anyone who blatantly wants to embark on unrealistic 2024 fitness goals? Uh, everyone should set their own individual goals and they should know their body better than anyone else. But that little voice that's in your head that says, oh, that's a bit painful, maybe today, don't go for that 20K run. You just did one yesterday. Or maybe it is, you've done three gym sessions in a row. Maybe today it's a recovery day and I should maybe do a a yoga class or I should do something that's kind of maybe a little bit of soft tissue massage myself. Mm, So to me, it is set realistic goals and reassess them regularly because you could have put out a perfect plan, but after three days, your body is telling you it needs 
a little bit of extra care, an extra bit of time to adapt and recover, give it that time. Mm. It's not going to not going to overall delay that overall recovery. But if you go the other way and keep ignoring that voice and that little bit of thing that needs attention, it will blow up, and at some stage you'll be forced to take significant time out from that from that program or that plan that you've laid. Yeah, don't be stubborn. Listen to your body. So important. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Cormac Omahatek, who is medical director of the Sports Medicine Lab. Doctor, appreciate your time. Take care and have a great week ahead. My pleasure. Thanks. Sports Minutes on Money FM 89.3.